Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? Ready. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NFL. First and ten Titans from their own six-yard line. Moving right to left on your radio dial. Give it to Henry. Looking for some room. Finds it. 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, end zone. Ladies and gentlemen, 94 yards. Touchdown, Titans! Titans play a wild game with the Houston Texans and end up getting the win and staying undefeated. They are a perfect 5-0, and and that was Derrick Henry. 94 yards on that play, 212 yards rushing in the game, and 52 receiving. PK, I know it's the error of the quarterback, but there's always somebody who goes against the grain, and Henry is that dominant running back from another era. Yes, he is, man. He is sensational. You wonder how long it's going to last, but it's certainly on top of the game right now. He is, and he's actually been that way. You go back, and I was looking him up yesterday. Uh, I think he rushed for over 2,000 yards as a high school freshman, so he's been a phenom. He was born to a 15-year-old mother and a 16-year-old father. He hasn't had it easy, uh, but uh, he's right now anyway. The last year really came onto the scene in the NFL. I mean, it went to Alabama, so we certainly have known about him. But, uh, he is a sensational running back, and man, I don't understand that decision by Houston to go for <laughs> two at the end of that game. Man. I don't need Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou brain? I mean, it just uh, out thinking, it. out thinking the room. Hey, if we get two points, it's over. I know, but you're probably not going to get it. Kick the one and make them go get the two. Yeah, that's the standard way to do it. He set a record yesterday. The oldest head coach ever at 74 years of age he's been around for a long long time uh seems bizarre and then there was talk well you don't have any faith in your defense well you can see why you don't have any faith in your defense so <laughs> we're not maybe it was the, maybe it was the right thing to do I don't you know. know it's uh we do judge people on whether it works or not right and if yeah. he knew the defense wasn't going to get a stop the thing is they got to get a touchdown and then they got one play they've got to get the two so it's kind of like you get two chances to stop them but man how about how about Deshaun Watson's body language when he lost the coin flip? Did he not speak for everybody? I, I like watching guys like that because I think that's how uh, you know we played with that level of enthusiasm when we were kids. And if we'd been good enough to play as adults, we'd like to think we would have played with that level of enthusiasm. He was totally into the winning, and he knew losing the coin flip was a big problem. So you played football as a kid? As a kid. All right. I didn't think you had it in you. I'm glad to hear that. I got more respect for you today. Other NFL scores. Uh, that was supposed to be a big game between the Bucks and the Packers, but eh. Packers get up 10 nothing, and Rodgers throws two quick picks, and the Bucks dominate the rest of the game and score 38 unanswered and win 38-10. to There was no drama. There was no competition in that. And Rodgers says, hey, maybe it was good for us to get our butt kicked. They're still 4-1. Um it's not going to be easy in that division, apparently, because the uh, the Bears seem to have it going a little bit. Maybe they're a pretender to the way the Browns were, getting crushed by the Steelers over in the NFC North. But uh, 
silver lining time for Aaron Rodgers because that was a lopsided loss. Yeah, the Steelers and the Browns are AFC North, but uh, yeah, certainly that uh, that was the case there. Jamal Williams, your quarterback, maybe know the downs, but uh, maybe he's a little colorblind there because a couple interceptions turned that game around. Boom. 38-7, the Steelers over the Browns. Pittsburgh is undefeated at 5-0. You want to make any pronouncements about who's chasing who? You want to let it sort itself out there for a... uh, for a couple oh, more weeks in the I NFL, mean, I, think, I think you have two very good teams, and that and it, oh, I thought you were that division. Uh, that division is up for grabs. So Steelers are five and zero, Ravens are five and one. Yeah, they, I mean, they, Ravens didn't exactly throttle the Eagles, but they beat them. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it's all that. Man, this is the NFL. It, you don't need. There's no such thing as style points, so it it doesn't matter. Uh, and I expect those two teams to go right down. So yeah, I think we have an idea of who's. Who's in? Not not, ex- not exclusively. There's some teams there that uh, have shots that we don't know how the season is going to be turning turning out. Uh, we got one tonight, uh, Cowboys. I'm not expecting a tremendous drop from uh, Dak Prescott to Andy Dalton. I could be totally wrong, but I'm, I'm thinking Dalton can come in and because the bar is not that high for the Cowboys to get in the postseason because they play in a crappy division. Cowboys are 2-3, and three and they lead the NFC East. I think Dalton will be all right at quarterback. They've got a lot of guys around him, just like they had a lot of guys around Prescott. The problem with the Cowboys is their defense gives up a lot of points. Five, five games into the season now, and they're giving up 36 points a game. That's, that's a huge number in the NFL, and it's going to be a problem regardless of who the quarterback is. Was it a huge number when you played football as a kid? Oh, you got to be like that. <laughs> Kyler Murray going into a building where he is seven and zero in high school. He went forty-three and zero in high school. Nice. <laughs> owned him. He owned him. Niners beat the Rams. Were you surprised how easy that was? I thought the Rams were starting to get it going here. They came in four and one, but they really struggled offensively. And uh, so they dropped to four and two. The Niners are in last place in their division, but they're in the best division in football. They're three and three, which keeps them yeah, in the hunt for a while. I never bought all your, your Niner injury stuff. I mean, everybody's got injuries, so uh, who cares? It doesn't, doesn't matter. But uh, the degree of uh, easiness, yeah, I wasn't spending a lot of time on that because I was watching baseball. But I saw the scores and would flick over. And, yeah, it was uh, it was relatively easy, which I can conclude was uh, certainly at minimum somewhat of a surprise, if not uh, to the extreme, a total surprise. Nick Foles settling in, couple touchdowns. The Bears beat the Panthers 23-16. Chicago is 5-1. and one. The Packers are 4-1, and one, so at least for the time being here, the Bears have the half-game lead in the NFC North. The only undefeated team is Seattle. You buying Chicago as the second-best team in the NFC? I don't know that they're for sale, so uh, I don't know if I'm buying yeah, it yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. I got to, I got to see some more. It's still, still early, you know. Let's uh, get to week ten with them and see where they're at. Monday night doubleheader starts with the game uh, with the Bills and the Chiefs. They're going to be on uh, three o'clock. Uh, that game's on Fox, followed by the Cardinals and the Cowboys at six fifteen on ESPN. Yaks. Yuck, you thought that was a CBS game. That was a Thursday night game. Isn't that going to be on Fox? Oh, find it for yourself, people. <laughs> channel, what channel are we finding? 
The Chiefs and the Bills. It's on Fox and the NFL Network. Fox and the NFL Network? Yes. Okay, I believe you. I mean, you wouldn't lie to me. 3 o'clock, and then the uh, Cardinals and the Cowboys at 6.15 on ESPN. DJ and PK. Hashtag BYU. You got here just in time. Dax Milne down the sideline from Zach Wilson. And thanks for joining us. BYU touchdown 78 yards on their opening touch of the football. First play score. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. BYU dominates early, dominates late. In between, it was all Houston, but not enough Houston. BYU wins 43-26 after giving up 23 unanswered. They scored the last 29 points of the game. Zach Wilson, 400 yards passing. That's the kind of number that jumps off the page at you, PK. It does, but it doesn't surprise me in the least. BYU now 5-0. and Were you... A little surprised that they turned it around there late. Were you surprised they got into that kind of hole in the first place? I I wouldn't say necessarily it was a big hole because I have respect for Houston. I don't know how good they are. I I, I just don't. I don't follow them day to day, and it's just two games in a crazy season for them with all the postponements and ultimately cancellations. So I'm not really sure about them. But, you know, I did watch their game against Tulane, and then Tulane takes SMU – right into overtime uh, the night before, so maybe Tulane isn't that bad. I mean, you could go crazy playing those comparative score games, and so really doesn't matter when you take the field. So I thought that the Houston offense had a chance to score. I think the biggest surprise for me was that BYU's defense in the second half shut them down. I mean, just shut them down. They have Houston's offense has two drives over like 95 yards, I mean, the kid decides he's going to fair catch at the one-yard line. Hmm. That's, that, that was my that, – that play reminded me of the very first play that I ever saw of Utah football. <laughs> I knew you'd go to that. <laughs> when I moved up here in 93, and I'd never watched one second of Utah football. And if I remember correctly, their first game was against Arizona, Arizona State. Arizona State at ASU. And, and the kid downed a kickoff at the one. I guess he thought he was in the end zone, and he downed it in the one at the one. and. And McBride was still in the process of getting that program going. Uh, it was, uh, you know, he ultimately did a great job with it and getting it up to where it should be. Uh, and so this kid downs it at the one, but then they go 99 yards. So the the defense with the adjustments in the second half, I thought were sensational. They put pressure on Tune and just changed the game. I think that's the number one surprise. And then BYU's inability on multiple third or fourth and ones not to be able to get a first down or a touchdown in the case at the end of the first half. But, you know, when you have that good of an offense, I guess you can overlook that to a degree, but that's something they need to work on. So I think the biggest story was BYU's defense coming up huge. 19 plays, and I think it was seven or eight yards for... Houston after it was seven the drive. yards. It was seven. 19 plays on for seven yards. Drives, yeah. yeah. After the touchdown, that was what they got in the second half. So when you say shut down, 19 plays, seven yards, that shut down. Yeah. 
BYU moving up in the polls, 11th in the coaches' poll, 12th in the AP media poll, and now heavily favored in their next two games. Texas State coming in at 1-5. and five. That BYU's opponent so far, and I know it's all group of five, but at least they've been good group of five so far. They're a combined 13-9, and nine, which they got five losses from BYU, so they're 13-4 and four against everybody else. But Texas State, 1-5. Not good. So, no naps. No letdowns. Did that once. Don't do that again. Get a big lead. Let the freshmen and the sophomores play a lot. Let the second and third stringers get in there. Uh, they are going to let in about 6,000 fans, so they're going to have a few fans there. Uh, all the players afterwards were talking about playing in front of the fans in Houston, and uh, a good proportion of them were BYU fans, so they were they were hearing cheering and hearing noise after touchdowns and, and big plays, so a little slice of normal. Not a big slice, just a little slice. That's uh, about time. BYU, by the way, you want to take a shot at the point spread, PK? Yeah, Yak wrote it on the rundown. Oh, you saw it. 30. 30, <laughs> 30 points. Not the biggest yeah, thing they, year, When it gets that big, it's just, they're going to win by as much as the head coach wants them to win by. We thought that oh, with UTSA. you said that last time. Be yeah. careful with that. I'm saying it again. We thought that with UTSA. I, they, had their, they, they had their lull. No lulls. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Mack looks right. Pressure's coming. He'll throw long. Waddle's got it behind the defense. Leaves the DB on the ground. There you go. You ask, you get 90 yards. Tyson Campbell wondering what happened to Jalen Waddle as he left him behind for the touchdown. Alabama beating Georgia. 41-24, Alabama wins the second half, 21-0. It was the kind of turnaround you were just talking about with BYU and Houston. Alabama owned that second half, PK. Halftime adjustments. Uh, one of the things I've been able to do is watch more SEC football, watch more national football because of uh, our teams here and the conferences locally not playing, and it is abundantly clear so far, because I haven't seen all the programs because a couple of conferences aren't playing, although the Big Ten is getting back in action this week, I couldn't be more static for it. But it's clear to me that Clemson and Alabama are on a plane and on a level that is much higher than everybody else. Lap in the field. Clemson made that clear by winning a conference game. These are the kind of scores you usually see if it's a money game. But Clemson, 73-7. to over Georgia Tech, and they had 52 points at halftime. They weren't out there really running it up. No, it was incredible, man. I was watching that game. I told you I was going to watch it, try to get a read on Clemson because they started at 10 o'clock our time, and I did watch it. And What did you do at 11 o'clock? Middle of the second half, yeah. I mean, the second quarter, I should say. I meant second quarter, not half. Uh, I was flicking around. And Trevor Lawrence looks just absolutely Oh, uh, doesn't, doesn't he look like an NFL quarterback passing the eyeball test? Every he throw? Has. Yeah. Every throw is just money. I mean, I'd put him right behind Zach Wilson. I mean, that's how good he is. See you working there, PK. Keep working it. And Mac Jones for Alabama looks really good, too, for that yes. matter. Yeah. Uh, and and to, then to your point about, you know, who else? The two top five teams lose with number three, Georgia, getting beat by Bama, and number five, North Carolina, Falling behind 31-7 to at the half and eventually losing with some drops. It's 31-28. You thought they had a chance to go down the field and score. and They did. Bad drops at the end of the game. You don't want – you can handle good drops. You don't want bad drops. I knew as soon as I said that you were going to say that. There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs>
All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Towering fly ball. The Dodgers come from behind in the series. They come from behind in Game 7. And they win the National League pennant. For the third time in four years, the Dodgers are going to the World Series. It's the Dodgers and the Rays. A couple of Game 7s this year, but even with the expanded playoffs, when it was all said and done, the Rays were four games better than everybody in the American League. The Dodgers were at least six games better than everybody in the National League. It's the two best teams, but there was some drama to get there, PK. Oh, all sorts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The Astros put up a heck of a fight. And uh, the Rays uh, got the job done, and then the Dodgers falling behind 3-1. But, you know, the Braves just ran themselves out of some innings there. That was just atrocious, man. Stuff that you shouldn't see at the big league level. Mouths on the bases just drive me nuts. And that thing where they had the double uh, play. Double play. That was at 5-2. Who was the shortstop coming over to make that uh, tag at third? So 5-2-6, was it? Uh, Yeah, it was 2-5 to to 2-6. Because it started with the catcher. Well, it started with the third baseman. It started with the catcher. I mean, there was a ground ball to... Was it a ground ball to Turner? Or was it uh, a ground ball someplace else? Uh, but anyway, oh, you're right, yeah. They, so it was four, I don't know, it was four numbers, and it was the weirdest-looking yeah. double play ever. Somebody tweeted yeah. it on Twitter, I saw it. And, and they, they just can't run themselves out of innings like that. And then, you know, it's, it's sort of appropriate in this way because the home run is such a big deal that ultimately a couple of home runs decide it. Uh, but it was a great, great, fun, fun, a lot of tension, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of emotion going back and forth there. And, and now you're right. I mean, I picked these two teams, but it's like, well, whoop to do You just picked the two best teams. <laughs> and, and they got there. I'd probably go with the Rays a little bit. I haven't seen what the odds are. I don't understand baseball odds anyway. But uh, I'd probably give the slight edge to the Rays here. Uh, what do you think of the uh, unusual Dodger pitching, telling May that he's a starter at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and one inning, and then it's staffed the whole way, and then you don't use your closer. You got the hot hand on the mound, so you just let him go for three innings. Kind of unorthodox. People have been clamoring for that forever. Why do you take a guy out? And then, Well, that's this guy's role. Well, the Dodgers not really worrying about roles. Yeah, I don't know that they have clearly defined roles. And that's becoming the pitching now in this way, the, the defined roles and what we've known and what we've seen for years and years. Uh, it's sort of coming be the way of the going the way of the point guard. You know, the point guard that we knew with the short shorts and all that stuff. That really isn't the point guard today. And pitching that we knew has sort of changed, and we do have openers, not starters, and guys not going very long, and other guys coming in at times when, you know, that's not the way it was for so many years. So I think that's the new breed of baseball, which I've always agreed with in terms of uh, your closer. If the other team has its best lineup coming up in the eighth inning, put him in there then. And, and they didn't use Jansen or Kershaw. Uh, and both those guys were available. Uh, so, yeah, they got the job done. They got to go with the hot hand, get the outs, whatever you need. And that's what that's what happened. World Series starts tomorrow night, 6 o'clock on Fox. They'll be playing the whole thing in Arlington, Texas. 
All right, there you go. There are the headlines. That is what is trending. Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Dale Murphy, Atlanta Braves legend, here to talk World Series at 8 o'clock. Kyle Whittingham, Utah football availability as they continue their fall camp. We'll hear from him at 8.30. And Jay Drew, the Cougars beat writer for the Deseret News at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Ashley Adamson, the Pac-12 Network. Can Utah lose that kind of talent and compete for a Pac-12 title again? If you would ask me that question when they first entered the league, I would have said, no, you're crazy. That would be impossible for anybody. But I have become such a believer in Kyle Whittingham and such a believer in this Utah program that I think, especially in this year, the teams that are going to do well are the ones that are disciplined and methodical and don't get too high and don't get too low and are able to roll with the punches. And that is Kyle Whittingham to a T. And a lot of times the reason teams have success is because they take on the personality of their head coach and we've seen that at Utah so I just have a sense that they're going to surprise some people The Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network DJ and PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing Heating and Electrical Spring into Action now mention this ad and receive $33 off any service call Action today at 801-833-3333 that's 801-833-3333 well, PK, now you've gone and done it. Huh. Saturday morning, PK posts on Facebook. So you got to think BYU's for real at this point, right? And they're 5-0. and It's got a nice win on the road. That's two nice wins on the road for them. None of the three opponents at home have really uh, gotten the blood pumping, but the two road games. And you said they're for real at this point. Which is an overwhelming praise. You didn't say they were awesome. You didn't say they were number one. You didn't even predict an undefeated season. 89 comments. That's a lot of comments. They're my favorite team. <laughs> David, break out the Quest for Perfection t-shirts. <laughs> They're used to dry off cars. In all seriousness, they are playing well. I don't think they're college football playoff material yet, but they're on the right path. And still, dot, 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 go Utes! They're on the right path to college football playoff. Uh, yeah, I would uh, bet all that you own, and that's quite a lot against that happening. But that's not their goal. That's that, that you, that, you can't that's control not that. something that is going to happen, I don't think, because I don't think they'll let you in their party. Uh, you may deserve to get in the party. Uh, but a lot of things would have to happen. A lot of teams would have to lose and all that stuff, and obviously you'd have to win. But uh, setting up for that showdown, Boise State, in what now? A couple of weeks away, November 6th, I think they moved it to Friday. So I think BYU is probably playing about as well as they can play, and that that's the most important thing. You know, I always thought that was the essence of coaching. It's up to the players to win. It's up to the coaches to put them in the best positions to win. I don't think the coaches can go out and win. The players have to go out and get the job done. But the coaches have to put them in the best positions. And I thought that they did that. Not the whole game, but, you know, that that's football. Teams have got quality on the other side. And you make adjustments and go away from the four-man to the uh, three-man to the four-man rush and allow the corners to... Uh, to maybe guard them uh, some singular stuff and single coverage, and uh, we saw the results. And 
And so as I look at this BYU football team, I don't know that I can say, man, they can do this way better. They can do that. And you always are going to be better, have an opportunity to be better. No, no team is perfect, so I understand that. But if I look at it as a whole, I think they're probably playing about as well as they can play. And that's, that's good news because we've seen as recently as last season, they didn't play as well as they can play. And that's the frustrating aspect of it. So I'm sure the Atlanta Braves this morning are getting up and say, man, we really blew that. That's on us. And we should have done this, this, and this. You know, Freddie Freeman talked about that last night. Stuff that they'll be thinking about. Being, it usually takes a couple of weeks. You have that hangover effect before you start to move on. And, you know, with BYU, there isn't that case. Whereas last year, that was in abundance. And how did they do that? What happened? Well, we're not asking that question now. We're asking how good can they be because they're not blowing it themselves and that's a that that alone just that alone is a major development from last year to this year i'm with you on that and you never play the perfect game and i think if there's one thing you say okay when you go look at the film like how do we fix this because it wasn't a problem against houston they over well maybe it was a problem but they overcame it but it could be a problem going forward it could be a problem on the blue turf in two and a half weeks and that's BYU's run game you know They've been able to push people around, and now all of a sudden when they needed a yard, they couldn't get it. You know, what happened there? And is it as simple as getting some linemen back and, and getting healthy? Is there something else? If this is the group of guys they're going to have going forward, how do they run the ball better? The quarterback let them in rushing. That's usually a red flag. Algier had 25 yards. They couldn't pick up a fourth and one. Uh, just before halftime when the riverboat gambler, Kalani Sataki, he wants to go for everything. That's pretty clear now. We're, we've seen him go for it on multiple fourth downs. We all remember the two-point conversion against, uh, against Utah going for the win, not playing for overtime. Uh, he'll, he'll go for it. He, but that one, you know, they couldn't pick up the yard. So I guess if there's one thing to work on going forward, that's the thing you'd, uh, you'd circle. But they overcame it in this game. Didn't end up being a problem. Yeah, I thought that was a suspect play calling on those plays. Uh, especially uh, the third, second, and third time, you're, you're struggling to get that. So, and I know it's mono a mono and the macho stuff, but I never understand why, particularly when the defense is all jacked up on adrenaline and on that stuff, why you just jam it right in the front and center. Uh, that's just me. I'm not a savant here by any stretch when it comes to play calling. Uh, but other than that, this team is playing at a high level, and their offense is playing even at a much higher level than the defense and Zach Wilson is really good and he's got that connection with Mill and now you know they lose Bushman you know the next man up thing that uh, Kyle Whittingham loves to talk about well for the tight ends it seems it's next men up seems they got that three or four of these young studs that uh, can make plays for them you're not even sure which tight end or tight ends are going to be in on a particular formation and it seems like they've got several guys who can make plays in place of Bushman, which Matt was still healthy and being able to play, obviously. Uh, but the silver lining on that is that these other young guys are able to come in and make contributions. You're not just getting one stud that they've had over the years. You're getting several players that are capable of making plays. And that's a positive sign, too. That's a great sign. So, And I look at it. And with Wilson doing what he's doing right now in his third year, not just his third year, but his third year with uh, the Grime Dog and A-Rod, 
Yeah, it is really fun to watch because they've got complete confidence in them. He's got it in. Uh, uh, they, they've got. Uh, he's got it in them. They've got it in him, and they feel like he can make a lot of the throws that uh, they need to be done. And so they're just feeling really good about themselves offensively, and that's a positive sign because in the way college football is today, it's about scoring points. There's very few teams, if any, anymore that can really just lock you down and shut you down defensively. You know, we thought Georgia was all that mm-hmm. defensively. Yeah. Uh, not really, you know what I mean? So the game with the rule changes and whatnot and the advancements that they have offensively and the creative minds out there and the ability with uh, so many folks on staff to study every little single thing that the other team's defense is doing, you can see why the offenses have really come on. And so you have to be able to put the ball in the end zone many times over during the course of a game. And right now, BYU's offense is being able to do is able to do that. You know, these next two weeks should be walks in the park. We understand that. But uh, when we get to that first Friday in November, that's going to be that's going to be amping it up, amp it up. I I know Utah State uh, plays Boise this week. I don't remember who's Boise's next game in between the opener and. Uh, BYU. It's Air Force, isn't it? I don't know that. I, I, I have I no idea. It is. Uh, but I'm expecting them. In, in, a, in a sense, I, I don't root against the locals. That doesn't make any sense. It's bad for business. Uh, but in a sense, I would like to see Boise be 2-0 to set that thing up because that's, uh, to date, that should be their most difficult test. And that's, that's exciting. And Boise has a little bit of a rep, I think. So particularly going to Boise, you get that opportunity to do that. And uh, win that game, yeah, and then uh, then it's on. And I think I think they're a quality football team, and really, you know, we can argue scheduling and, and level of opponent. I understand that, but if you step away from that, because I can't settle that. That's your opinion, and to what level? And if you don't like the Cougars, you're just going to crack on their schedule. Fine, but when you step away from that and you look at the experience that they have out on the field, uh, you. It's not so much the quality of opponent, and I don't think they would be whatever and zero at this point if they would have stayed with that original schedule. But I do think they would have been competitive with that schedule because I look at the experience that this football team has. And not just the experience of the individual players, which is extremely important, but the connection Wilson has with his coaching staff. And the connection that Wilson has with the receivers. You know, I know Romney got hurt a little bit the other day, but he and Mill and even Powell, they've been around for a good long time. And I think you're seeing the benefits of that experience play out out on the football field. And then they hit on big plays with people that we really weren't expecting to make contributions because we thought Bushman was going to be healthy. And if Bushman's healthy, I don't know that Isaac Rex is ending up with two catches for 55 yards. But right, that's the silver lining. Big plays, yeah. But I mean, Bushman would have been very capable, and he would have probably had five catches yeah, right. for uh, 120 yeah. yards. And Dax Mill may not have had 184 no, yards no. receiving. If you're no. looking for the surprising number in the box score, that 184, that would be it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's the thing about next man up. It's not necessarily literally uh, who's ever the backup. To Bushman, you're looking at everybody picking up the slack, mm-hmm. and certainly in the pass game or the throw game, as my good friend Kyle Whittingham likes to say, they have done that. And these tight ends, I don't know. I'd have to check Yak. You'd probably. I don't know who's going on missions, who's already been on missions, but I know it's a bunch of young guys in the program, and they look great. 
these tight ends. Joel, four victories over high school teams. What happens next will be amusing for you fans. Well, it's five victories, Joel. Well, unless he's not counting Maybe Houston he's not counting Houston. Team. Yeah. Yeah. Navy's hard to figure out right now. They're, they're... Corner Canyon's the exception over there. <laughs> right. Corner Canyon. Was it Timview State back in the day? That was Timview Tech. PK? <laughs> Whatever you guys want. <laughs> we have BYU Alpine. We all know that. But Corner is a juggernaut, that's for sure. So we'll see them in a couple of weeks, see what they do there. Uh, yeah, Navy, yeah, they're winning. They're 3-0 in their conference. Yep. And, winning uh, close games. Important. Like three wins by nine points and then – Two losses by 85 points. So it's a weird deal yeah. for them. But that, that's in a rearview mirror now, and so that doesn't matter anymore. I mean, they, they, they beat them 55-3. to three. What more do you want? <laughs> so uh, that's, that seems like uh, with all the stuff that's gone on in the world, that seems like a long time ago <laughs> already. And so it's about what's ahead. And they're going to be tested. I don't think there's any question about that. I think Boise and San Jose State will, will test them. Even if those teams aren't as good as, well, Boise's been good for a long time. San Jose State's the last four or five years been pretty good. Even if they're not as good, there's a couple things going on. They're both teams in the West, so they understand about BYU. And BYU, certainly for Boise anyway, is going to be ranked high if not in the top 10 well you talk about getting the other team's best effort so you're going to get we saw that in san antonio we yeah. saw san antonio dancing around they knew it was an opportunity for them to make a mark and to an extent they didn't win the ball game to an extent they did make a mark right even in defeat because they're a program only 10 years old they're trying to build stuff down there in san antonio and so we saw they got san antonio's best effort so you're probably going to get Texas State's best effort in Western Kentucky. It's just they're not, they shouldn't be on paper anyway. They don't appear to be near good enough. Well, so you factor in the emotional aspect of facing a team that BYU – and Boise and BYU have had a tremendous rivalry. I don't think the rivalry has caught on nationally the way uh, some rivalries, though I think most folks who follow, follow college football get the BYU-Utah thing and maybe you'd have to be really intense if you're not doing what we do or following it like our listeners do to know the level that we've had with Boise and BYU, and that's been really good for both programs. So you're going to get, even if Boise should stumble, you're going to get their best effort to date, and that's an exciting game, and we're also we're, we're very much looking forward to that, and that's the next day the Pac-12 starts, and then also I think it's uh, Clemson goes to Notre Dame that day because I was looking, is Clemson going to be challenged? Because you look at funny thing is Clemson is just rolling and destroying people and I think Clemson's uh, combined opponents are something like 7 and 13 but nobody says anything about that nope. it's just BYU schedule sucks they've got uh, <laughs> so. they're in a power 5 league so they got that going for them and because they've done so well in the playoffs now they have credibility regardless of and they who their opponents it, yeah. are so they deserve that and I think but see what I'm saying about BYU they don't have the credibility to the Clemson level. I'm not saying that by any stretch. But if you step back and get away from the schedule and look at the experience that they put out on the football field, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. And that's what I think some folks, who uh, those of us around here who hate BYU, they don't want to give them any credit. I get that. That's a rivalry. That's what it's about. I don't have any problem with that. But I think that 
uh, beyond our market. If you look at this football team, why are they 5-0? and It's simply not a product of playing five crappy teams. That's not it. It's more about the veteran experience that the coaching staff has combined with the players. That's why. And the losses. You know, Aaron Rodgers talking about how uh, yesterday's defeat in Tampa may be good for the team. Well, those experiences that the Cougars went through the last two years of going 7-6, and six, now they're able to reap the benefits of playing all those guys. So it goes beyond the opponent. You see what I'm trying to say here? It's about the team and the experience to get to this point that they have, which leads me to believe they're a pretty good football team. Dave's right there with you. He posts, I'm coming around. Last year, BYU loses that Houston game. Probably. A lot to be said for that. You know, yeah. it started well. It got away from them. And then in the middle of the game, they didn't know how to turn it around last year. When it started to slip away at Toledo, they couldn't turn it around. Or at South Florida, they couldn't turn it around. And this time, they did turn it around. Maybe to their advantage, it, it slipped a little earlier in the game. than some of the, Those games got away from them in the fourth quarter. This one got away from them in the second quarter. And so in the third and fourth, they were able to turn it around. Yeah, and I think they've had Zach Wilson being healthy in last That's year. That's a huge factor, right? And, and, yeah. and more, more time under his belt, too. Exactly. And along with everybody else, that is not everybody, but a lot of the guys around him. Now, these tight ends, they're kids, but they just got to basically do what they're told because Zach will take care of it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. Now, let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Eric Weddle joining us. We were so fired up to see Alex Smith out on the field. Yeah. What were your emotions like seeing him back out on the field? I told everyone I knew after that documentary that came out, I'm like, 100% he will play again. And it's going to be an amazing story, not just for him, but for people around to see the adversity and see someone go through just a horrific chain of events. Right, but to get on the horse and get going again, oh man, it was just incredible. Can you imagine going through what he went through and mentally getting back out there and in an NFL game? So you knew he was going to struggle a little bit, but I hope he gets more chances. I hope he gets more opportunities and gets more comfortable back there because he's obviously showed he can still play. Hanson Scotting weekdays from ten to two on ninety-seven five twelve eighty the Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the Zone. We brought you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. PK, sadly, your dad is no longer with us because if he were, you could tell him how you golfed with a Masters champion, Mike Weir. The former Cougar, who finished second on the Champions Tour this week, and I saw some stuff on social media, they were congratulating him on this. And uh, they linked to a story from Cougar Illustrated, February 1st, 1990, and it made me think of you. There are several facts here. We've had them on the show, and you got to, you know, I don't know what kind of small talk you got into him while you played the 18 holes that day. Um, a good deal. Oh, yeah? Did he get into the history of why he's a left-handed golfer? Because it jumps right into that in the story, and we've had him on a couple of times at least a couple of times. Maybe I'm on more than that. And uh, I never asked him about that. I don't remember hearing about this. Uh, when he's, he's right-handed, but the first time he started playing golf, he had some clubs. Uh, the next-door neighbor um, got him interested, and he borrowed clubs, and they were left-handed. So he just played left-handed. Huh. And now he's a Masters champ. 
The story also has a couple other things. We're going to have to ask him about the glasses in the photo. That was, that's classic 80s stuff. He came down to the end of BYU or UTEP. UTEP golf? You, you went to Arizona State. They've won NCAA golf championships and had famous golfers and all that. I never knew UTEP was any good at golf. I don't know how he almost ended up at Utah. They don't have to be any good at golf. You have to be good at golf. There it is. And then uh, it says, in the past, left-handed golfers have been scarce. They are, however, becoming more common. The 1989 NCAA champion, Phil Nicholson of Arizona State, (laughs) is left-handed. And last year's runner-up was also left-handed. So lefty's getting more popular. Phil Nicholson, Phil Nicholson. Jack's kid, Phil Nicholson. Great. And actually, Phil is not left-handed. It's the same thing. He's that's that's all he does is golf left-handed. He Otherwise, mirrored his he's, dad growing up. Yeah, swinging. he just mirrored him. So he stood aside and said, "Here, stand over here." So in order to have the same swing, he went with the left-handed. So they're facing each other. But if you, you probably already knew that, but he does they throw a football, baseball, what have you, shoot a basketball, and he shot a basketball right up here, right up the street from me at the local Latter-day Saint church. He has shot hoops. Nice. <laughs> I used to know his mother-in-law pretty well. She's since moved from the area, but uh, she's been over my house here where I live. Uh, so when she was in, when they she grew up, uh, raised her family here, and Phil's wife is from here, uh, up the street. I've been to her house, too. She, saw, she saw, taught dance to preschool girls, and I uh, even beyond preschool. And then at, at the end of the end, end of school year in May, they have a big recital that you'd have to go to. And I and, and to this day, and we're getting off the topic. To this day, I missed it one time with my daughter because I covered a junior college baseball game. I was assigned that. Boy, do I regret not saying, "Wait a second, why in the hell are we doing this?" My daughter's got a recital. And I didn't go that day. <laughs> it still gnaws at me. <laughs> and as you know, I tend to replay my mistakes. <laughs> let my it go already. Over over. <laughs> it's gone. It's, it's, whether I let it go or not, it's gone. It doesn't matter. It is <laughs> it's, gone. It's not coming back. So, yeah, it's, it was gone the second I got in the car and drove out there. But she used to be the uh, teacher of that. She had a dance school. So I, 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 And she was a big sports fan, big youth fan. Uh, and got to know her. Renee was her name. Got to know her very, very well. And uh, so anyway, that they, they've done that. And yeah, those, those two. And Phil, the thing that was cool about it is in his, I watched the end of it uh, because the uh, Packer game was no longer interesting. Yeah. So I flicked it over and he talked about what's fun for him because he's two for two on uh, two senior tour entries, two senior tour victories. And he looks great. You know, he's got his weight under control. He looks uh, he looks better than he did 15 years ago. Uh, and so he's going to gear up and play for the Masters here in a couple of weeks as a opportunity. Well, I doubt he would win, but nevertheless. He talked about how he playing college golf with Mike Weir. And they're only a month apart. Mike turned 50 in May, and Phil turned 50 in June. And they've been uh, rivals to an extent. And Mike told me some stories because he knows that, you know, my college background. And he told me some competitive stories that I can't share on the air. (laughs) Nice. uh, About those two guys playing uh, growing up and how they were competitors. And obviously that's going to create a level of intensity, if not friction sometimes. I mean, I think you get past it eventually. And so then Mike goes on Instagram and last night, and he's sitting down. Looks like he, maybe it's the 
restaurant on the grounds of the property where he played yesterday. I think they're back in Virginia. And uh, he's talking about how, man, it was so much fun to be in the mix and all that stuff, get the competitive juices. Because Mike, had, when, when I talked to him, when I played with him was a year ago, and he was talking about gearing up to get on the senior tour because he was 49 at the time and it would be turning 50 and he had everything mapped out. This is before uh, COVID and all that stuff. And, and so he's had to rearrange it. But nevertheless, he talked about how he was shooting for that and was really looking forward to it. And then Phil, the first comment, on that Instagram post was from Phil. Hmm. You can go look it up. And he talked about, hey, man, it was fun to be out there. You know, you're a great uh, a great player, a great competitor. You're going to win a whole bunch of tournaments, probably the next one. So it was really fun to see that. And Phil acknowledged that those two have been, uh, you know, rivals back in the day, but not as much anymore. Uh, but they were both out there playing and, and competing in that way. And Phil on the senior tour anyway, for his two-for-two, has been absolutely brilliant. DJ and PK coming up next. The World Series is set. Dale Murphy, Atlanta Braves legend, is going to join us to talk baseball, Utah football availability. We're going to hear from Utah coach Kyle Whittingham at 8.30 and BYU beat writer for the Deseret News. Jay Drew at 9 o'clock. Stay with us.